trays are in the daily devotion books. Um, they are free, so uh, please take one or take others or take some to give the, the folks. We always have quite a few left over, uh, so I might have to call and tell them to shrink our number or just take more. All right, we need really one. All right, let's take the Bible this morning and turn to, to Daniel chapter 5. And um, these are, uh, I trust, the messages that the Lord has led me to. I didn't expect to spend so much time in the book of Daniel, but kind of like one chapter leads to another. And these are very, I believe, very interesting messages, very interesting passages anyway, because it deals with real real life rulers, all right, and governments, and, and how God dealt and how God worked. Um, and I just, I'm so amazed. Every time uh, I, I read this, the accounts there about Nebuchadnezzar, what God did in his heart. Folks, this is one of the most wicked men who ever lived. And God did a great work in his life. And he can do it in anybody's life. And I think that, and I believe, and one of the things that maybe never stood out to me as much before is the necessity of a Daniel. All right? Because God used Daniel. And so we need Daniels today. And we need Daniels and Daniels, if you know what I mean. We need men and women who will really stand up for the Lord, wherever they are. We need to have a voice. I mean, they're... They're, they're trying to silence us, and they're going to, it's going to continue unless, until God intervenes, right? And I believe he can. Whether, you know, whether he will or not, that's his, that's his will, his prerogative. Daniel chapter 5, uh, God didn't intervene in Belshazzar's life like he did in Nebuchadnezzar's life, all right? Anyway, let's read a few verses. Um, this is a familiar passage in the book of Daniel about the handwriting on the wall. Right. Daniel chapter 5, we're going to just read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll pray and get into the message for today. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, well, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and brass of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loose, and his knees smoked one against another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage. And even reading it, it reminds me of the, of the dangers of wine. Um, what, ha- what happened because these people got drunk and had this feast and all the stuff that came about because of it. Lord, we ask for your help. Bringing forth the word today, help us to, uh, first of all, help me to write and divide it and declare it, and help the folks to listen, and allow you to apply the word to all of our hearts as necessary. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, from the from between, rather, Daniel 4.37 and Daniel 5.1, about 10 years have passed. So sometimes in the Bible you go from one chapter right to another, there's no break. But here there is a break. There's a considerable break. Years. Maybe up as many as ten years. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has already died when we get to chapter 5. In fact, historically, Nebuchadnezzar died in 561 B.C. for ruling Babylon for about 45 years. Right? Those of the Bible students, the Babylonian captivity was how many years long? 70, all right? 45 from 70 leaves 25. So uh, when the, so in, it's interesting to me anyway that in those 25, after Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 45 years, the last 25 years saw five different kings over a period of five years, or 25 years. Their reigns lasted from as little as two months uh, to as long as 14 years, right? And in fact, three of those kings are mentioned in the Bible. I mean, besides Nebuchadnezzar, three others. We'll take time to turn. I'll give you the reference if you want to study. Um, number one is a man called Evil Merodach, 
He's mentioned in 2 Kings 25, 27 to 30, and Jeremiah 52, 31 to 34. He's the king who uh, released Jehoiachin from prison and so on. And we're going to actually look at that tonight in our message on trust. Number two, a man named Nirgal Sherezer is mentioned in Jeremiah 39, verse 3 and verse 13. Interesting, he's mentioned as one of the princes, and later he became king. And then we have Belshazzar, who's mentioned in Daniel 5. He's also mentioned in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. And in chapter 7 and chapter 8, he's mentioned as a reference point to some of the things that Daniel saw and visions. And so the book of Daniel is not necessarily in chronological order. It is basically up until chapter 5 and even chapter 6. But chapter 7 and 8 mention that Belshazzar being king, and you probably already know that at the end of chapter 5, he dies. Now, I'm never sure how to pronounce this name. Nabonidus is uh, the word I think. Probably Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law began to reign in 555 B.C., or six years after Nebuchadnezzar died. He left the kingdom in the hands of his son, Belshazzar. Several occasions, Nabonidus left Babylon to deal with foreign affairs, all right? This is so much like... Uh, governments. I mean, our, you know, the president sometimes flies out of the country. Well, he didn't fly, of course. Nebuchadnezzar traveled other places. And when he was gone, he left the kingdom in the hands of his son, Belshazzar. Now, um, one such excursion by Nebuchadnezzar was to go into go and get, um, negotiate trade groups and trade deals with economic things with the leaders of Persia. Okay? Now, unbeknownst to Nabonidus and unbeknownst to Belshazzar, while they're negotiating these trade deals and everything, uh, the leaders of Persia are already plotting to overthrow Babylon. All right? So, that's, that's, I think you know, that's really pertinent to what we're, what we're talking about here. And we'll have more to say uh, about that later. So, it was during one, this absence of Nabonidus and Belshazzar was left in charge that the events of chapter 5 take place. All right, it starts off with the, we're going we're to look at three things today concerning the handwriting on the wall. All right, there's a wall there, it's got paint, plaster, and so on, and, and drywall. Just imagine, okay, if all of a sudden while we're having church or whatever, a hand appears and starts writing on the wall. By the way, you've all heard that expression, right? You think you the handwriting's on the wall, I'm about to lose my job, whatever. You know, we, we still use that saying, usually it means Something bad is about to happen. Well, I would certainly would hope and pray that, that our country can see the handwriting on the wall if we continue to go away from God. It's not, it's not a matter of if God judges, it's a matter of when. If we keep going like we are. There's, still, there's no question. Because God has to. Or He's not true. His word is not true. The Bible says any nation, Jeremiah 18, read those verses what happens when a nation that God builds... Definitely built this country when it turns away, forsakes him, and goes into sin. It says that nation will be plucked down. That nation will be destroyed. All right. And so anyway, we don't know when God may send revival. You know, He may answer prayers. Everything like that. But I'll tell you something, folks. Babylon came to an end. Right? Babylon fell. Um, and, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar passed. You know, we've had some good presidents. We've had some not so good. Um, we've had good presidents who have passed from the scene, and then the next guy comes along, right? So, very similar to what's going on here in, in that sense. All right, so let's see. First of all, the handwriting appears, and notice the feast, Belshazzar's feast. You could call it his folly. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. So we had this huge gathering, and they brought the, the palace that uh, this is talking about here was a, was a building, a room, uh, about twice the size of this church building, right? Huge building, huge room, kind of a banquet room, so it was filled with all these people. And so Belshazzar, verse 2, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which is in Jerusalem. 
I remember that. When Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, they burned the temple, they burned the king's house, they did a bunch of stuff like that, and they brought vessels, they brought the things from the temple that had been dedicated to the worship of Jehovah. Right? They, they carried those into Babylon along with Daniel and a few thousand other people of Judah. Right? So he brought those in, and now he says, bring them out, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, might drink therein. So the king had a number of wives, he had a number of concubines, which are kind of like servant wives. It's, uh, you know, we won't get into that today. This would be like his harem, in other words, all these women, that they might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, that was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines, drank in them. That's bad enough. Right? The Bible condemns drunkenness. They drank wine and praised the, the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In other words, all these idols that they worship. So they began to praise. Okay, we, we, here's another indicator, another case, another example in the Bible where somebody praised somebody else other than the God of heaven. And not only did they do that, they used his holy vessels and they desecrated them and they praised their idols and of course in doing so they were mocking God they were mocking the God of Israel um, in those days and even today sometimes a, a victory by a kingdom over another kingdom was not just a victory for their kingdom it was a victory for their God or gods and so God takes that personally. He does. He's not, he's, he, he is not, he's not neutral. He's not deaf to these things. He takes them personally. So the handwriting appears in, the, in verse number 5 in the same hour. Now really the idea there is at that moment, while they're doing all this stuff, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick, in other words, opposite from the candlestick, upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now again, they found ruins of that, and their walls were plastered, just like the Bible said. So the walls are plastered, and so are those that were in the, in the room, right? In a different way. And I'm not making fun of that because it's, it's sad. I've seen what happens. I've seen it, not first, I've seen it firsthand, the effect of people getting drunk and what the things that they'll do and claim, and all that sort of thing. So the hand comes out, and writes on the wall. Then the king's countenance was changed. He talked about immediately sobering up. And his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote against another. Have you ever been knee-knocking scared? He was. No, not to be gross, but some people interpret this to mean that he, cut, that he uh, you know, lost, his, lost his control and he, and he wet himself. <laughs> the joints, you know, everything came loose. He came unglued, as, as people sometimes say today. And he's scared. He's terrified. Not shocked. Well, we won't even try to guess, but nothing like this had ever happened before. And obviously they do. And you know, well, what's really amazing to me about these people that worship idols, hardly anything ever happened. You know, their they're, they're small g-gods never did stuff like that. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? He, dared, he basically dared those to be able to do something. They didn't. All right? Well, so anyway, that, that's why this is so amazing and so terrifying to the king. All right? Now, so the, the king cried aloud. To bring in, hey, get my advisors, get them in here. The, Cal the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, just the right kind of people for the job. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right, Abinias number one, Belshazzar number two. The king says, Whoever can do this, will be the third ruler. He's going to do all these rewards and awards, and he's going to be the third, the third ruler in the kingdom. 
Now, that can't help but re re remember two times when Nebuchadnezzar was in the same situation. But he had two dreams, a dream on two different occasions, and he did the same thing. He called for all his advisors, and nobody, nobody could answer. And, and again, so God's hand is in this already. They can't answer. Nobody. Verse 8, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar um, greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. They were, in other words, they were astonished. They were amazed. Well, all I can say about this, about Belshazzar, was he lost all pretense of being a mighty ruler. Now, Bible indicates that, or in history indicates along with it, that Belshazzar was a relatively young man. Um, his father had turned the king over to him. And uh, you know what happens sometimes when fathers, whether kings or businessmen, whatever, they turn their business or their kingdom over to a son who's not ready to handle it. And it's his, you know, his little private domain. And, hey, let's, let's have a party. And, you know, you know, forget all this nonsense that my father did or whatever. And so he's, you know, he's making himself up to be some big shot. I mean, he's a, he's a, you know, a man of the world. He's a playboy, and he's just going to have a ball, and we're just, gonna, you know, we're just going to celebrate. Well, his countenance changed in a hurry when the writing came. So now, this next point is the handwriting interpreted. Verse ten: the king, the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. We're going to stop here just a minute. It's interesting that the, who this queen, the queen was definitely not Belshazzar's wife. His wives were all involved in the party. Apparently the queen wasn't. And indications are, and historians believe that this woman was Nebuchadnezzar's widow. She certainly knew the history. And she comes in, in verse 11, there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of thy father, now the word, the Hebrew word father here means ancestor, and so it can mean father, grandfather, it can mean founding father, and most likely here it's grandfather. Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, he's reminding him of, of this man, made master of the magicians, the astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So we know that back in, in, in earlier chapters that Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar, promoted Daniel to be over all of his counselors and all of his advisors. Of course, he would have exerted, as we know, a godly influence. And it's probably because of Daniel's testimony that uh, in the days of the three kings, or the wise men, that they had had the scriptures because of Daniel's influence. All right, so anyway, that's wonderful. His influence continues to this day, by the way, through this spirit word. And so, verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts. Uh, these are all like, you know, mis explaining the different mystery mysterious things and, and that, that God had revealed through dreams and that Daniel interpreted. And they were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. So, Daniel was brought in. For the king, verse 13, the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel? I want to smack that, anyway, that, 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 that young Luper snapper. Which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry. That's a mocking term, by the way. I have even heard of thee, right like five minutes ago, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers who have been brought in before me, that they should read the right, this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, 
that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make it known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. So he offers this to Daniel, expecting Daniel's going to just like you know, fall at his feet. You know, be so impressed. You know, Daniel says, uh, verse then, uh, 17, And Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, as people, and give thy rewards to another. Because I'm not, I'm not interested in reward. I'm not, that's, I'm not doing it for that. Um, yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. And before we go any further, I want to mention the fact that uh, Babylon felt like they were in, they were invincible, impregnable, they were unattackable. In fact, as this is going on, Nebelshazzar and others in Babylon were aware that the Persians, Persian soldiers had surrounded the city on the outside, obviously. They knew they were there. They mocked them. They, they were, I mean, history says they were so arrogant. They, they, were just, they were just basically waiting for the time to attack. If they felt like it wasn't even worth being concerned about when their party was over, and if the mood ever struck them, they'd go out and deal with these feeble little Persians. That was the attitude that was going on here. And so I, I believe that that really plays into um, the response of the king to what Daniel would say. Let's just take a look at that. So they were, they were at the height of arrogance at that time. Verse 18, O thou king, See, Dan, and Daniel still, you know, shows him a little bit of respect because he's king. The Most High God, he, that's what I love about Daniel, he starts right out. It's, you know, the Most High God. He, call, he wants to call Belshazzar's attention to the ruler of heaven and earth, just like he did to Nebuchadnezzar. The Most High God gave, gave, underline, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father kingdom. Right? Nebuchadnezzar at one time thought he got it on his own, remember? But he soon God convinced him otherwise. And he submitted to that. He was a changed man. We looked at that last week. So he gave thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. Now I'll guarantee that no Persian's army would have come around Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne. It says, all nations feared before him. And to me, that, that makes it even greater the way he begins the way Nebuchadnezzar begins chapter 4, peace be multiplied unto you. No, he didn't say, you know, fear and tremble before the great Nebuchadnezzar. No, he says peace. Now, because God changed him. All right, now, once you notice, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. We know all that. That's all recorded in chapter 4. We looked at that last time. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. Right? That hasn't changed, by the way. We, you know, we have a process, supposedly, we vote and so on. But you know what? It's God overall who sets up and removes. Never forget that. Don't, never forget that. Right? I'm not going to go any further than that. But. And thou, here's the, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the whole point that, ne that Daniel's making. And thou, his son, his, his, his descendant, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. So in other words, that this man, Belshazzar, was old enough to know 
Whether he personally was there or whether they just knew it from history, I have an idea that he knew about it because I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar told him. You know, that he, he knew all that. He knew what happened. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar being driven from his throne. And he knew how and why it happened. And yet he says, Thou hast not humbled thyself, thine heart. And you know, I just want to pause and remind us all. I need to be reminded, you need to be reminded that the Bible over and over again talks about the need for humility and that God hates pride. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look is number one. Proverbs 6, 16, 17. It goes on to talk about our things. But, verse 23, hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Just think about that. And, and he knew what he was doing. He knew when he had those vessels brought, he knew where they came from, he knew that they belonged to the God of heaven. They belonged to the temple. And when he drank out of them, he was defiling them, calling them common. And he was praising the idols. We talked about it already. But, but he knew what he was doing. And he says, They have brought the vessels, in verse 23, of his house, his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. They're, they're just dumb metal and stone and wood. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. In other words, the God who allows you to live. And the God who has given you privileges and allowed you to be the king. And, and all the things that you have have come from the mercy of God. And that's a, I'm going to tell you, that, that's a scary verse. And for even for us as believers, you see it says, God, the God in whose hand thy breath is. And what does that mean? Well, it, it tells us that he can reach down and turn it off anytime he wants to. I'm thinking God's not. He's not cruel. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we don't have, we would not have anything, and we don't have anything apart from God. We, and I'll tell you what, that's probably one of the worst, one of the sins of America is that we think that we are so great. We have done it all. I say we collectively. We've done nothing. God has provided. You know, we've you know what I mean by that? We've done nothing to earn, deserve, merit, anything that God has done. The Bible is clear about that. When you read the, read, read the writings of the Apostle Paul, and he talked about that, that we have nothing without him, right? And he can take it away at any time. And he would be absolutely justified in doing so. Because it wasn't just the king. It wasn't just Belshazzar here who was wicked. It's all his lords and his wives and his concubines and all the people of Babylon, basically. Well, thou hast not glorified. He said, you haven't glorified the God of heaven. Now, I want you to think about a verse because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And a lot of times people interpret that, fall short of glory, come short of the glory of God, means none of us live up to God's standard. Okay, but it's really, it's the fact that we haven't glorified Him. That's what it means. We come short of the glory of God. We fall short of the very purpose for which God created us. We don't glorify Him. That's, that's the sin of that, of that God abhors above all others. Not giving Him the glory He deserves. When they came to Jesus and they said, Master, what is the great commandment? Did Jesus say, Thou shalt not murder? Thou shalt not commit adultery? No, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the greatest commandment. So it follows along that if that's the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin is not to do that. It's, it's not to glorify God. It's not to love Him. All right. So that's what he says. He didn't say, you know, you got drunk. He didn't know. He said, you have not glorified God. All right. So then, verse 24, was the part of the hand sent from him 
And this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mean, mean, tikal, ufarsin. Okay, that's the writing. This is the interpretation. Okay, this is the interpretation. Mean or meany means to number. The significance, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. God had calculated its duration to be full and finished means end. Okay. God says it's done. I've calculated, I've numbered, and it's done. Very simple, very simple interpretation. In verse 27, Tico. Thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. And that word tikal means to be weighed. Thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. The word wanting means lacking or deficient. Wow. Belshazzar was wanting in any kind of moral worth or integrity. He was unfit to continue as king. He especially demonstrated that in drinking wine in the vessels of the temple and praising the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and stone. Based on the words God, that God says to, to Belshazzar, I have judged, I have, I have judged your you. Notice he says, you are found wanting. Individually, you're found wanting. You're deficient. 28. Perez, which is the plural of Eupharsin. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So the countries of Media and Persia, the Bible says your dance said would be, would be given to them. And it means to be Perez, or, which is the plural form of Eupharsin, means to be divided. Significance, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. There would be two parts in the new kingdom, Media and Persia. Hence the use of the plural word, thick parents, plural form. All right, that's the message. Very, very brief, very clear. You're done, basically. Your kingdom is going to be given over. Verse 29, then commanded Belshazzar, this number three, the handwriting fulfilled, then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet and with a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So that was uh, Belshazzar's repentance, right? No, this is done mockingly. Because he's thinking, you're right. We're going to fall? You're right. We're impenetrable. We've got gates, many gates. We've got soldiers stationed at every gate. We're, we are a river flowing under our city. We're, we, they can't get to us. Well, that's what, is that, what happens. In verse 30, in that night, in that night, was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. He, he died, he was killed that night, and Darius the Mede, Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old, it pleased Darius, chapter six. Yes, that's the Darius who came to know, believing in God Daniel, he's the one who got tricked into making that decree and ended up with Daniel lines then that that Darius. Right. Now Belshazzar, Belshazzar, rather, Belshazzar rewards Daniel, and Belshazzar himself is, reward, is recompensed for his sin. How did it happen so quickly? Well, um, let's turn to, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. Um, about 200 years before this, before this whole night party and the fall of Babylon, God gave a prophecy to Jeremiah to share with his people. And he named a name. He named a name. Isaiah chapter 44. And uh, in, in 28. And in verse 27, let's look at that verse. This is the Lord speaking to Isaiah, that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Keep that thought in mind. I will dry up thy rivers. That saith to Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple, thy foundation, 
uh, shall be laid. Right. We're going to go through some of this. Now, in Isaiah 44, 28 through 45, 6, we read of a man named Cyrus. This prophecy was written by Isaiah over 175 years before it was fulfilled in amazing details. This Cyrus conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. All right. Now, I said earlier that soldiers were stationed outside the city, Persian soldiers. I'm not sure, you know, history doesn't really tell whether they were there as a decoy or what. But while all this is going on, for months now, Cyrus, kind of under Darius' authority, Cyrus was more like a general, um, he had prepared, he came up with a plan to reroute the Euphrates River. I mean, you can look this up in any history book or whatever on, on Babylon, and they'll tell you this. Um, they dug a, a channel and they blocked the at the proper time. They built another channel for the river and they closed the, the thing they did, the dam they made or whatever. They rerouted the river, all right, so that it no longer flowed under the city of Babylon. Now, while this party was going on, they were so arrogant they left the gates unlocked, the gates to the city. And so the army of Cyrus marched on the dry riverbed, marched up right into the palace of Belshazzar, killed him, and captured the kingdom. Now, let's see what it says in Isaiah, other things it says in Isaiah 44 and 45. Number one, let's, I just want to give you like um, four details of this prophecy that Cyrus fulfilled. Right? Number one, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, verse 28, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. All right? This is recorded in 2 Chronicles 36, 22 and 23, and in Ezra 1, 1 through 4, one of the first things Cyrus did when he became king, Cyrus the Persian, he made a decree to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. That's how Ezra got to go back and so on. And they rebuilt the temple. Okay, this is almost about 175 to 200 years before it happened, before Cyrus was even born. It tells us he's going to do that. All right, let's take a look at some other things. Verse number 40, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose hand, right hand I have holden. That's great, isn't that? Already in born yet. He's already said, I'm holding his hand. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we hate abortion. Because that kills a life that God already had a plan for. I, to subdue nations before him, I will loose the loins of kings. What happened to Belshazzar? To, remember? Right? To open before him the two-leaf gates. In other words, the double-leaf gates. Babylon was famous for its golden, double-tiered, double double-leaf gates. And the gates shall not be shot. How did Isaiah know that? Because of the Holy Spirit of God. God, the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, that's how Isaiah knew about this. So, isn't that neat? The gates will not be shut. Um, to open before him the two leave gates, the gates shall not be shut, the gates of the city were not locked the night Cyrus army came in. In other words, there, we're, we're invincible, we're having a party, right? We're, we're good, we're fine. Um, verse number three, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Now, I don't know how Cyrus knew about this. Maybe he read Isaiah. Who knows? But when one of the things they did after they conquered Babylon, they did some checking, and they found underground storage rooms with, in today's, well, billions of dollars in gold and in silver and in golden objects, silver objects. They found these, all these riches, just like it was prophesied in detail. Well, there was a lot more we could, we could say in there. But why, why would this all happen? Why did God do this for Cyrus? He gives the answer right here. I will give thee the treasures of darkness, in verse 3, and riches of hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, 
And Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. All right? So he said this up. He says, that's why I'm doing this. You know, it wasn't, so it wasn't totally for the wickedness of, of Belshazzar or even for the prosperity of Cyrus, but it was for the name of God and for his people. And so, um, I, I just want to kind of encourage us today here in America as Christians, if you're a believer today, Whatever God is doing in your life and mine, whatever God's doing in this country, it is for Him. All right, let's not, let's not forget that. One of the problems with America's system is that we've become so, like, it's all about us. Um, and, and folks, listen, I, I hear people, and they say, we're Americans. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're the people. You know? And the people said to Jeremiah, you know, this is the temple. We're God's people. These things are never going to be moved. And boy, did they get it wrong. We have to make sure we don't get it wrong here in America. We're the people of God. We better, we better start acting like the people of God. If we are the people of God, right? America is not God's chosen people. America has not replaced Israel, all right? We're like everybody else. In the same book of Isaiah, God said the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Okay? I'm convinced that America is not in prophecy. Never. Not specifically. Why? Because we're, we're, no, we're going to be no factor. Probably one of the reasons is because whatever happens, it isn't going to happen here. All right? It's going to happen over there. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to happen in the Middle East. But, but anyway, so we, we need to stop thinking about we have to rescue our country at all costs. Just like the people who these environmentalists are going to save the earth. No, you're not. Right? What, what should we do? We should do the same thing that Daniel did. We should do the same thing the apostles did. We need to serve God. We need to be telling others about Christ. We need to be living the gospel before them. We need to be praying. And yes, pray for our country. And vote. I mean, we can do certain things. I'm, I'm going to say something. We talk about this a lot. I, there's times I have not voted. <laughs> hey, the building's still standing. Um, I'll tell you why. Because I looked on the ballot, there's nobody worth voting for. So I've written in names. And then, in fact, the election, I was told... Never mind. I, I, I don't should I even go there? But I mean, I mean, I was told like if you don't vote for Trump, you're voting for Hillary and all that kind of stuff. You know what? He got in anyway. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm glad he got in anyway. But listen, that, that's not, that's not up to us. I mean, we can do our we can do our responsibility. And uh, but I just I just I tell you something, folks. As a Christian, as a pastor, I don't have time. I honestly don't have time to rescue America. I really don't. I want to try to rescue a few souls here and there and, and pray for our country. And again, live, study the scriptures, study Jesus and study Paul and study Peter and, and just see what they did in the system they were under. All right? Again, we're, we're, you know, we, it's all right to cry. It's all right to weep. It's all right to pray. It's all right to do what we can. You can, you can run for office if you want to. But ultimately, what God has planned is going to come true. And what we need to really pray for is, re is revival. Because President Biden and the Congress and whatever, they, they, they can't stop revival. And they can't legislate God out. I don't know if that awful bill passed or not. Did it pass the Equality Act? It's horrible. But you know what? We can't do anything about it. Honestly. I mean, I, I hate to say that. You realize that you and I have very little Influence, and that's sad, but that's what I'm going to say. Um, maybe I'll stop preaching that about another. But, but we have very little influence on what's going on, and there are forces out there right now. They will stamp us out if they can. You, did you read? Did you anybody raise your? Did you read that equality bill or equality act or whatever? Like what they're proposing? Oh man! If that comes through and they enforce that, things are going to be different. Right? Let's don't don't pretend they won't be. 
because I mean, we, we, we might take a long time to reach way out here in the middle of nowhere. All right? But folks, listen, if you lived in New York City or Detroit or Chicago or Los Angeles, you'd, you'd have a different attitude because you'd see what's going on in those cities. We're out here in the boondocks and people still have some old-fashioned values. But I'll tell you, it's coming. It? Unless the Lord stops. Unless the Lord sends revival. Now, praise the Lord, that same bill was proposed in 2019 and it got defeated. But I understand from talking to some men the other day, it's already passed the House. Now it's going to the Senate. And they will have kind of a final say, or the Supreme Court can say that they can declare it unconstitutional. So, but that's one example. I mean, are you hearing what's being said? Are these people in authority? And what they think of Christians, and what they think of Christ, and what they think of the Bible? You know, this is not fantasy, folks. This is reality. I heard it with my own ears. I heard a guy a couple years ago on a news, on a talk show, say this. He said this. I heard it. He goes, parents who teach their children the Bible are committing the worst form of child abuse. They believe that. At least there's an element, all right? So, there. We need to, under, we need, what, so what do you do? Having all, so that, what do you need to do? All right, here's this. If you're living for the Lord, keep doing the same thing you're doing. Paul just told the people in his day, just keep serving God. Serve the Lord. He's the one. He's, he's powerful. The word they can put, he's Paul to take basis of this. They can put me in prison, but the word of God's not bound. Alright, so anyway, we, we need to be prepared, we need to be ready. Jesus, you know, the Bible says abide in him. We understand. Right? And so I don't know if I have another message or not. It's up to God whether we're going to have any more messages about God and government. I'm thinking about doing something along the line of rights, because that seems to be the, the cry today in America. Rights, 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 we have rights. And honestly, it might be good to look at that and see what the Bible has to say. Um, and in doing the prayer for that, I've read some of those. I've read, I've read the Declaration of Independence a whole bunch of times, where it says, you know, unalienable rights. But notice our founding father said they were given by God. That's the problem. See, our government now thinks they've given us those so they can take them away. That, that's one of the big problems. All right? But anyway, let's pray. Father, have to thank you so much for this time you can have to sing praises to thee, um, to study thy precious word. And, and Lord, please can help us. I, I just pray that we might be convinced that the answer is not political and spiritual. It's revival. It's God. It's you showing mercy or continuing to show mercy upon our country. Help us to be faithful, to be true. I pray today that the word of God has already sounded forth all over this country and will continue to do so. And just pray, Lord, that you might harvest a great harvest of souls, maybe one more harvest before uh, Jesus comes for us. Lord, you know we don't know, we have no idea when that might happen, but we do know it could be today, it could be any day. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see. We have a handbook for him picked out. Uh, 395. 395. Um, again, the, the example of Daniel is so great. You know, Daniel took a stand for God, and God blessed him for that. God preserved him. I mean, he was probably lived to be about 100 years old. He spent his whole life serving God. I don't know if you caught it um, a couple weeks ago. I mentioned about the people going back. Um, 395, um, the people going back under Cyrus's decree. And there is, Daniel's name is in there. So whether it's him or another Daniel. But anyway, he served God. 395, um, let's stand please. And I am not, you, you guys, the people, I think you know me pretty good. I am not a prophet of doom. I don't believe these are top days to be gloomy and doomy and oh my my. But they're times to serve God. They're just times to, they're exciting, right? All right, let's, I've, I've gone on enough for one day. But let's remember, this is what I want us to come down to. Hymn number 395, only one life. Folks, we've got one life. All right, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to let God have it? Or are we going to use it for our own Pleasures and ideas and things like that. Let, let's you know, give it to God. Let's sing all three of these verses. Only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise me, and 